Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you. When organizations are clear, connected, and aligned, achieving breakthroughs daily becomes not just possible, it becomes an expectation. Improving performance requires that organizations get clear about their why, where they're going, and how are they going to get there. For this to be achieved, leaders and employees need to be connected to what it takes to achieve shared goals and how they can support each other. And they need to be aligned around the ways of working that will unlock the full potential of their organization. In this HR chat, we're going to delve into ways management consulting, coaching, and leadership development can inspire stakeholders and unlock the potential of systems to drive sustained breakthrough business performance. My guest this time is Andrew Bloom, CEO and managing partner at the Trium Group, a management consulting firm that helps the world's largest organizations plan and execute their most complex transformations involving strategy, leadership, and culture. Andrew, welcome to the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And again, just I want to add something you said. You said largest organizations, and I would also add to that emerging largest organizations because one of my uh, clients today was a startup called UiPath that just went public. So uh, we we work with them when they're large and we work with them when they're on their way to be large. So it's a, a bit of both. Okay, so you help everyone. All right, brilliant. Why don't you, why don't you start by telling uh, telling our listeners a bit about yourself then, Andrew. T- tell them about your, your background. You've got a really interesting background. So I'm, I'm told that you're, you're an ex-Marine who went to read and, and, and you tell great stories. T- tell our listeners all about yourself. Well, I mean, I, I did start my career in the Marine Corps. Uh, I actually enlisted when I was 17 years old, right out of high school, uh, which was be very unusual for an upper middle class kid from Maryland at the time. But I wanted to prove myself. I wanted to test myself. I wanted to put myself into an extreme environment uh, and see what I was made of. And it felt like the Marine Corps was uh, custom made <laughs> to meet that need. Uh, so I enlisted when I was 17. Uh, and then I went on to become an officer. Uh, and got commissioned as a first, uh, second lieutenant in 1986. And of course, I went to Reed College, which, uh, if those of you who don't know, is is well known as a kind of uh, very academic but very liberal college uh, in Oregon. Uh, and very few Marines go to Reed College. But for me, they were actually quite similar in that they were both highly rigorous environments that really challenged you. Uh, and I don't think my being in the Marine Corps was ever politically motivated. It was much more personally motivated. So when people say, how did you do the Marines and read college? I say, well, uh, they were, I wanted a challenge. I was young and ambitious and, I, and I, wanted, I wanted to take myself on. And those two environments, while radically different in their core values, uh, were very aligned in the fact that they were both really challenging um, growth environments. And so I think uh, I've always been focused on growth. So that's that's my simple answer. But I don't know that that answer is shared by many folks. I don't know that probably in its, you know, it's hundred year history, Marine, uh, there's probably been two or three Marines that came out of Reed college. And that was mostly probably in world war two where everybody went. Very interesting. And if this was a different podcast, I think I'd just focus on what it was like to be uh, liberally educated and, and being in the Marines, yep. but it's not, it's an HR podcast. So we're going to go down that route instead. Okay. okay. Um, you guys, you guys work with some, pretty impressive venture capitalists and and uh, you service some amazing companies like Dropbox. Why don't you tell our listeners a bit about Trium, what it does and and who it helps? 
Well, I actually found the Trium in 1998, and the uh, fundamental insight that I had and that was shared by my founders, uh, who were all young management consultants at the time, was that we were charging clients a lot of money, and we were doing very high integrity, very rigorous, thoughtful analysis, and we were presenting PowerPoint decks. Um, but more often than not, we sort of knew that there was a whole set of issues that weren't in the deck. Uh, that had to do with the interpersonal dynamics in the leadership team, the levels of relationship, the levels of trust, uh, and uh, that ultimately would uh, determine whether or not the recommendations and work we were doing on behalf of the client would ever come to life. And uh, I, I think I had an instinct that we were missing a big part of the equation. And I remember I was one of the big consulting firms, and I asked uh, the partner about this question. I mean, here we are, we're telling them to execute this strategy and they're loving the deck, but we know that the CEO doesn't trust the COO and we know the head of marketing and the head of sales haven't had an honest conversation in five years. How are they going to execute this strategy? And he said, look, it's a very good question. Uh, and I think you're right, but we neither have the mandate nor the capabilities to address those kinds of issues. So, um, you know, there you have it. Uh, and to me, as a young, ambitious uh, fella, that was a, a, an unsatisfactory answer. So through my work in the Marine Corps and National Outdoor Leadership School and other uh, personal growth work that I'd done, I said, you know, I do know how to get people into real conversations. I do know how to help people build trust. Uh, and I began to imagine what would it be like if we could design a consulting firm that did both of those things, not just handling uh, strategy or doing just team building work, but doing them in an integrated way. So that was the impetus for founding Trium. Uh, and then we've since expanded into coaching and other work related to helping leaders execute strategy together in the right way, which is a lot different than just helping leaders execute strategy. Um, so when you look at the, the uh, growth challenges that all of these uh, very uh, highly fueled startups are dealing with, that particular formula is very valuable for them because very often they're having to go through what would have been in a regular company, 15 years of evolution in three or five years. So this idea of helping leaders get clear together, helping them execute together uh, at scale and on pace is, uh, I think, uniquely applicable to um, high growth startups. And, and as a result, I think a lot of folks in the venture world have discovered us and uh, I coach a number of partners in some of those leading firms, and those firms have uh, come to train very often because it helps de-risk their investments significantly uh, if they're uh, hiring us to help those clients stay cohesive. So that's sort of a long, again, another long answer to a short question. Okay, thank you very much. Now, one of Trium's mantras is teaching CEOs listening to be wrong. Um, and Yvonne Wazenor, who's now the CEO of Puppet, uh, she finds that that method is incredibly powerful. She says, in fact, uh, reading about leadership is like reading a book about how to how to ride a book, bike and then joining the Tour de France. Um, my understanding is that Trium helps actualize rather than than preach. So maybe tell me about the concept of uh, and the implementation of of listening to be wrong. What what does that mean? Well, I think. You know, first of all, uh, listening is uh, one of the most underdeveloped skills in most human beings and even very senior leaders. Um, I don't think any one of us in any of our education, even in business school, took a course around how to listen. It's just not what we're good at. We're good at talking. But uh, 
the truth is most values created in relationships through listening. Um, now, when you look at how people listen um, and you start to slow down enough to get conscious, even of your own listening in this moment, you'll notice uh, that there's you hearing what I'm saying, but there's also a parallel dialogue occurring in your own mind right now. And you're evaluating what I'm saying. You're thinking, is this good enough? Does this fit my needs? Do I like what he's saying? Do I not like what he's saying? So there's um, two conversations taking place. So even someone like you who's a very skilled interviewer, you're not really listening to me. You're listening to me through a set of filters, assumptions, expectations, and judgments. Now, when we get into a, a more difficult dialogue uh, where you might have strongly held beliefs, um, those same forces are going to be activated even more strongly. It's very likely that you're not going to be listening to me at all um, at an intent or emotion level. You're listening for validation of what you already believe to be true and waiting for the moment where you can help me change what I'm thinking to be more aligned with what you're thinking. Um, as you can imagine, that doesn't often lead to connection. It doesn't lead to a deeper understanding of one another because it's not really listening. It's listening to be right, or it's listening to correct, or it's listening to validate. So a fairly radical approach that I'll offer, you know, clients on coaching and leadership teams we work with is like, what would it look like if you were listening without any of those predispositions? What would it look like if you were listening without your own dialogue running in parallel? And more importantly, you can even turn it farther to the right on this dial. And as I say it, you might even imagine it. What does it look like to listen to be wrong? which is listen for the information you're missing. Listen in a way that gives you access to uh, contradict the truths you're holding because that's actually where the real value is. So uh, in the simplest terms, there's listening to be right, which is I'm not really listening at all. I'm just taking the data you have and teeing it up so I can use it to reinforce my argument. And there's listening to be wrong, which is I'm actually hearing everything you're saying without a predisposition to it, without preparing for a counter argument. And it's extremely powerful. And even as I'm speaking now, you and the listeners can go, am I listening to be right? Am I listening out of curiosity? Or am I actually listening to be altered, to be heard uh, and to hear in such a way that I change my deeply held beliefs? Um, so it's almost listening with a deep willingness to see. Uh, and I think, again, most leaders aren't even conscious of their listening. So just that simple distinction can be very powerful. Hey, Andrew, just for the record, I want to say that I'm listening with love okay, okay. today. <laughs> and um, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be keen to hear from you. Are, are, there, are there particular types of questions or ways that you can questions to help you find ways to be wrong, to, to fill in some gaps, to, to reevaluate what you thought you knew? Well, there, there's deep, I mean, I think we've all learned reflective listening where you simply repeat back what you've heard so the person feels like there's been a complete communication and that's helpful, but there's listening for meaning and the questions you can ask yourself, what is, how does that affect you? Um, what do you really want to have happen? Uh, what shows up for you in that conversation? Um, where do you find yourself excited? Where do you find yourself uncertain? These are deeper questions that are reflective of, of actual curiosity in the listener. Um, and what's amazing about that is when you're curious, the quality of their thinking and answers improve. So it's a really fascinating thing that I can affect the quality of your answers through the quality of my listening. Uh, and the quality of my listening is 
a lot to do with my ability to be to quiet my own mind. So that's where mindfulness comes in, but also a genuine intent to understand the other person's point of view. And I love the word understand. It means to stand under, to stand beneath you so that I can look up and let in what is coming down. That's very different than how most people listen. Most people listen, uh, in, 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 in a very, you know, sort of between distracted and dismissive. <laughs> or faux interested. Uh, so, uh, you know, again, the questions you ask, but it's a lot about the intent. And I would say that intent is most easily manifested when you listen to any other human being with this to, to sort of key off what you said with love. I'm sitting in front of another human being who has wisdom and I want to hear it. So I often will say, you know, you could imagine the politics in this country. Can you imagine if the left and the right listen to each other that way. And I actually really want to understand your concerns and why is this issue so important to you? And what, what concerns you about it? And what concerns you about how I'm seeing that issue? If that conversation took place, it would look completely different. And again, our politics today are places you can see there's actually no listening at all. What there is is a listening to be right, which means I take the few things you've said that fit into my argument and I amplify them. Right. But it's not actually what you said at all. It's what you said that I wanted to hear based on my worldview. So I was able to fit you into my paradigm. And then does that leave the person on the other side of the table feeling respected and valued? Not a shot. It leaves them feeling uh, drained. So you can see this is a very powerful concept. And um, you can often see also that it's um, one that, again, most leaders I don't think are focused on. Okay. Let's, um, let's put a bit of, a bit of, context around what we're talking about Let, let's um let's specifically hone in on what the heck's happened since q1 of of 2020 andrew if you don't mind um so so trium helps your clients solve complex challenges to improve their ability to execute and deliver results what, what have been some of those new challenges or um the very acute challenges since well, since the outbreak of covid I mean, I think what's fascinating is at some level, we're in the, the business of connected conversations. Uh, we're in the business of facilitating and designing uh, the right conversation at the right time in the right way among the right people so they can make the right choices together. Um, what you saw prior to COVID is a lot of that happened organically in the course of business. There was many encounters that were plane flights, there were lunches, there was breakfast, there were conferences, and a lot of uh, essential communication took place, again, organically. Not always effectively, but there was more venue for it. When we moved into COVID, uh, what we quickly saw is that all just evaporated. Uh, the only conversations that would happen were orchestrated over Zoom. And so we saw that not as a problem, but as an opportunity to help people actually have the conversation they wanted to have when they wanted to have it in the way they wanted to have it and be more intentional about that. So uh, we found a way to actually do all of our work over Zoom. And what I noticed really, which was fascinating, is at some level, I know it can be exhausting and it can be time consuming, but it also leads to a higher level of focus because you're literally looking straight at the person you're speaking to for extended periods. So within that, there's a, a, a greater opportunity to really hear and listen. Uh, and I'm an executive coach and I coach a lot of people exclusively over Zoom now. And I think at some level, myself and my clients almost even prefer it 
because there isn't someone walking by, there isn't uh, a phone call, there isn't, um, you know, the, the natural distraction. So uh, there's a lot of strain in, in this environment, and um, uh, but also a lot of venues for deeper and more focused listening. And I think what's also true is people um, have really realized how much they value being connected. So now when we ask for time for a team connection meeting, uh, it's seen as an oasis, uh, not as a burden. So there's been a fairly wild shift in people's um, receptivity to the concepts, philosophies, and approaches we're working on. And in fact, our business grew uh, in 2020, uh, which was very surprising to us because you know usually uh, when the market goes down, uh, people are more financially conservative and consulting is a pretty easy line item to see and to, and, and to take off. Uh, but the opposite happened. Um, and I think it's because people really wanted to hear each other and see each other. And that's what we help do. Okay. I want to learn more. In fact, um, improving performance requires that organizations get clear about the, their why, as we spoke about earlier, why they exist, where they're going and, and how they're going to get there, Andrew. Maybe you can elaborate on what you said so far and take a few minutes now to, to walk through, I think it's the four key tenets of your approach to coaching and, and leadership that, that you claim would unlock the potential of systems to drive sustained breakthrough business performance. Well, I, I don't know that there's a formula or that I would even rely on the pillars per se, but I think what has also become clear in this difficult time is that uh, everybody is motivated by different things. Uh, everybody wants um, different things from their life and everybody's willing to make different compromises and choices on that journey. So for an organization to rally and to have uh, people really committed to giving their best uh, selves to it, there has to be a clear purpose that is greater than themselves. Uh, and in some organizations, healthcare organizations and, and similar organizations, it's very easy to find that purpose. Uh, but it's less obvious in enterprise software or in some consumer products. So, um, but there is a why. There is someone we're serving. There is some need that we are meeting in the world. And I often say, you know, the organization has to be clear on what it exists to correct and what it exists to protect. Uh, because uh, anything can be corrected and protected, but if it's not done with a lot of um, emotional commitment, it doesn't happen. So, People have got to get clear on the organization's purpose. And then a lot of our work uh, is helping leaders get clear on their purpose in relationship to that purpose. So it's really interesting. I, I'll you know, talk with the CEO and I say, I understand uh, this is the mission of the organization. These are your values. This is your vision. Uh, can I ask you what your mission is, your personal mission? And they don't have one at all. They're like, well, that's an interesting question. I haven't thought of it. I'm like, well, is your organization – mission, your personal mission, they say, well, no, it's slightly different. So we start to help people connect what the organization does to what they do uh, personally. And when that connection is made, you, you unleash an enormous amount of energy because people begin to understand that I have a purpose and my purpose comes to life in the context of the organization's purpose. And now work isn't something to go do, something to resist. It's a vehicle for the manifestation of my purpose. That's a very different come from than most people have. Um, I often say, you know, the, the best leaders work is something they get to do, not something they have to do. Um, I often sometimes also talk about leadership as a craft. And if it's a craft, 
and I'm a craftsperson that I love to practice my craft. So these are all different ways of creating a very different emotional relationship between the individual and the organization and between individuals within the organization that lead to an emotional resonance that just generates much more creativity, much more joy, much more possibility, and much more disciplined execution. So I think there's a naive view that all those things are distinct. Um, and our view is that they're highly interrelated. And if you address them in concert, you get amazing outcomes um, that you know have happy people doing great work together, which is really the goal here. And maybe uh, you know, 20 years ago, people you say, well, no, the goal is to create shareholder value or the goals to uh, you know feed my family. Um, but for most executives, uh, those goals are now, I think, not sufficient to have you do your best work every day. So I don't know if that's a complete answer or a narrow answer, I'll, I'll, but I'm happy to, to go deeper if you'd like and, and just guide me. Yeah, I, I actually, I would like to take this a little bit deeper with you. Towards the end of your answer there, you, you mentioned uh, that by a leader, an executive, uh, being able to align their goals in some fashion with the company goals, uh, it, it leads to, I think your, your words were, a more disciplined approach. I'd like to jump into that with you a bit more, if I may. What kind of what kind of superpowers can a can a leader with that kind of alignment expect? Or more seriously, you know, what 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 changes in one's thought process when it comes to making those leadership decisions? When when one's able to see where they fit into that bigger picture with their company, and, and hopefully also have a better understanding of of oneself outside of work. Well, I think you've heard a lot. Uh, and obviously we can thank Brene Brown for this, this concept of authenticity or vulnerability, right? And it's become in some ways also a requirement for leaders. I don't think 10 years ago, anyone was saying a good leader is both vulnerable and authentic, but given what we've all been through, uh, you know, and if you've been in this game since 2008, financial crises, slow economy, social crisis, climate crisis, COVID crisis, political crisis, uh, people have sort of said, gosh, leaders that aren't willing to show their humanity aren't going to be able to inspire others through their humanity. And that's what is the, the common thread that connects us. So I think the game has changed. And um, I'll often say that uh, authenticity is like jet fuel. Um, when you believe what you're doing is a reflection of who you are, there's resonance between those two things. Um, often I'll work with leaders who have a bit of imposter syndrome uh, or people are saying, well, you know, I, I do this job, but it's not really what I love. So in that there's energy loss, there's dissonance. When a leader says, look, who I am in the world is totally consistent with the mission of this organization. And this is a vehicle for my self-expression at the highest level. You can just hear in my words how much more powerful that is than this is a job or a means to an end. Because every human being wants to be seen, understood, and heard. Um, but you can't be seen, understood, and heard in an environment in which you don't feel like you have the permission to be authentic. And you can't be authentic if what you're doing isn't authentic to who you are. When those things get lined up, however, uh, work becomes just energizing, not debilitating. Uh, and then when that happens, uh, it's amazing what gets fueled. Um, so. You know, again, it's a virtuous cycle. I, I either love what I'm doing and I love doing it with you and I love how we're doing it. And if that happens, it's great. 
And if I don't really love what I'm doing and I don't really love it, doing it with you and I don't love how I'm doing it, it's a drag uh, because it's a big chunk of our lives. So it's about getting that virtuous circle or that flywheel moving of clarity of self, clarity of intent, clarity of objectives, clarity of business. And that's what I mean by a discipline. I don't mean rigid. I mean, there's alignment between those things. There's a discipline that connects the, the parts of myself to what I'm doing. Which takes us all the way back to the beginning, listeners, and, um, and the introduction where you talk, spoke about uh, your time uh, in, in the Marines, I think. I, I'm sure you learned a lot of lessons from that, and which you've taken back into business. But I can't chat to you more about that today because we've run out of time. All I can ask you now I'm, I'm sorry. It's um, how can we learn more about you? How, how can our listeners connect with you? And, yes. and how can they learn more about what's happening over at Truem? Well, um, we uh, have a pretty deep website and a great following on LinkedIn uh, and in social media. So it's www.triumgroup.com. Uh, there's a lot to learn there. Uh, you can certainly follow me on LinkedIn uh, and even Twitter. Uh, I'm going to be doing some clubhouses in the coming weeks. Um, and uh, I'm on that number of podcasts. So what I often say is like, if you can't find me and Trium, you're not looking uh, because we're, we're pretty visible. Uh, so that would be the best place to start. And then, of course, if something we've said is of uh, interest or piques uh, your curiosity, then, you know, reach out and we'll you know, talk about whether we can help you and your organization you know, manifest what you really want, because that at the end of the day is what it's about. All right. Well, that just leaves me to say for today, Andrew, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of the HR Chat Show. You're very welcome. It's been an honor. and Thank you for your great work. Until the next time, as always, happy working and please do continue to stay safe. Thank you for listening to the HR Chat Podcast brought to you by the HR Gazette.